Well, good morning, everyone. How are you? Um, did, uh, did anybody see, we sang that opening song, Rising Sun. Did anybody see the sunrise this morning? Nobody in the room saw the sunrise this morning? I'm the only one? Are you kidding? No one. It was spectacular. You guys must have been out late watching fireworks or something. I know who you are. You got all the bug bites on you. So anyway, uh, it was a, kind of an inspiring one, I got to tell you, but you missed it. So anyway. Why don't you go ahead and open your Bibles with me to uh, the New Testament, to Acts chapter 11. And if you need a Bible to use, you should find one available down in one of the chair racks around you. Acts chapter 11, as most of you know, we're in a series right now called Going Viral. And it's a study of this ancient document that uh, records how the early church and the good news of God's love and grace in Jesus went, as we would say, viral, spreading very, very quickly from the streets of Jerusalem to the farthest reaches of the known world. And if you recall... Early on in the book, in chapter 1, it's recorded how Jesus said to his followers, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And that's, that's what happens. You know, the church in Jerusalem uh, grows from a handful of believers to over 15,000 people, uh, most of whom, um, in the face of persecution, leave the city and venture out into the surrounding region. And as they go, they embody the mission of Jesus, sharing the good news of God's forgiveness uh, serving the physical and spiritual needs of the people uh, and inviting into community those who are racially and culturally different. And as a result, not only did Jewish men and women turn to Jesus, but also Samaritans. Uh, an Ethiopian eunuch uh, believes, a persecutor of the church named Saul comes to faith. And then last week we saw a European soldier named Cornelius get baptized along with friends and family. And all of these people, all of these people, you know, Jews, Samaritans, Africans, Romans, all of them, their lives were spiritually transformed, changed forever because of Jesus. Now, what's interesting is that these same people, uh, before coming to faith in Christ, were all believers in the God of Israel, even the Gentiles. Uh, they were known as God-fearers. But here in chapter 11, for the very first time, we see the good news of grace spreading to and being embraced by uh, men and women who were true Greeks, you're true pagans, polytheists, and yet many of them start believing in Jesus as well. Here's their story, beginning in chapter 11, verse 19. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to Jesus. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all of their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people who, uh, were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, uh, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Now, uh, there's a lot of information in this very uh, compact text of ours this morning, but essentially it explains how uh, some Gentile followers of Jesus travel uh, uh, to Antioch, about 700 miles north of Jerusalem, and start telling Greek people about, about Jesus, right? And a whole bunch of them come to faith. And if we were to keep reading over the next two, two chapters, we'd learn that the church in Antioch grows very, very quickly, 
and becomes history's first multi-ethnic, multicultural, socioeconomically diverse congregation. In fact, uh, in chapter 13, we're given um, a list of leaders in the church there, and all of them from different backgrounds. We're told that in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. Barnabas, he was Greek. Uh, Simeon, called Niger, he was a black African. Uh, Lucius of Cyrene, he was a North African, probably of Arab descent. And Menain, uh, Menain who uh, had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, which means he was a well-educated, upper-crust, wealthy Roman. And then, of, co- of course, Saul, who was Jewish. And together, these men represent and reflected the incredible, di- incredible diversity of the early church in that city, uh, which is why it's in Antioch that um, followers of Jesus are first called Christians. Because up until that point, uh, religion was pretty much identified by nationality. You know, the Romans had Roman religion, the Greeks had Greek religion, the Jewish people had Judaism. But all of a sudden, here's this, here's this faith that wasn't based on race, nationality, culture, or geographic location. It transcended all of those things, and no one knew what to do with it, no one knew what to call it. So its followers eventually were just called Christians, the Greek word that means Christ's people. It's also in Antioch that these Christians first intentionally support and send out, quote-unquote, missionaries to greater areas of the world. All this to say is the church in Antioch became one of the fastest-growing and most influential churches in the first century. And uh, when reading about it, it's, it's, it's just easy to overlook a key player in all that happens there. It's easy to miss a guy known as Barnabas. You see, when news of, of Greek people coming to faith in Jesus reached the apostles' down in um, Jerusalem, they send this guy Barnabas to Antioch to check things out, and we're told that when he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done with these people, he was glad and he encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all of their hearts. And I would suggest that it's this, this man's ministry of encouragement that just made a huge difference in the life of that young church. In fact, Barnabas wasn't his real name. His real name was Joseph, but he was called Barnabas which literally means son of encouragement. So here's my Ray K summary. This guy, this guy had an unusual knack for affirming and kind of breathing life into people. You know, he had this ability to remind others of how good and loving and gracious and generous God is and a way of inspiring fellow, fellow Christians forward and strengthening uh, them in their faith. And that's, that's really what the Greek term for encouragement means. It comes from a word that means to call alongside or to come alongside of someone in an effort to help them. Uh, our English word encourage comes from an old French term that means to put in courage. Now, why is this all important? Well, as I was reading about the church in Antioch, I noticed something interesting. I noticed how here in chapter 11, in verses 20 and 21, we're told that there was outreach going on into the community, right? Evangelism, the sharing of the good news, that's what the word means. So that was happening. Then in verses 25 and 26, we're told that there was teaching going on, biblical instruction. But in the middle of those two things, in verses 23 and 24, we have Barnabas encouraging people, which tells me something. It tells me that while outreach and teaching are obviously important, ongoing encouragement within the Christian community is also a necessary and critical ingredient to the church's life, growth, and overall spiritual health. I mean, you guys realize that encouragement, correctly understood, is the language of the New Testament? It is. The Apostle Paul writes to the church and, and says, um, he encourages, he says, I encourage you one another to, to encourage one another and to build one another up, he says. 
in, in, the, in the book of Hebrews, the writer uh, um, says, uh, encourage one another daily. I mean, those are, those are only two instances because the word um, is used more than 100 times in the New Testament, so we don't have time to go through all of them. I mean, make no mistake, throughout Scripture, as Christians, over and over and over again, we're called to encourage one another. Not some of us doing it, but all of us doing it. And not just some of us, uh, some of the time, but all of us all of the time. And if that's the case, then the question becomes, what exactly are we talking about? You know, what does encouragement look like? And given that the nickname the apostles gave him was son of encouragement, it only makes sense to me that we look at Barnabas to find out. If you recall, we first met him back in Acts chapter 4, where we're told that uh, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, sold a field that he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. So a couple of things we know right off the start. Uh, We know that Joseph was a Levite. Right? He was from one of the tribes of Israel, the Levites, who, by the way, were responsible uh, for serving in the temple as priests, musicians, guards, many, many other things. But Joseph, Joseph would not have been able to do any of that because he was from Cyprus, a Greek island, which means he wasn't born in Israel. He was a Hellenist. He was a guy who was ethnically Jewish but culturally Greek. And in first century Israel, Hellenists were considered foreigners, kind of outsiders, and they were treated as such. And as a result, there was a lot of of hostility between the Hellenists and the native-born Israelites. So in some ways, you might expect this this guy, Joseph, to be, you know, kind of a bitter, angry, Greek-born Jewish man who just felt like an outsider, And maybe he was at one point. We don't know. All we know is that by the time we meet him, he has put his faith in Jesus. He has experienced the grace of God, and he is a welcomed member in the Christian community, and he is anything but angry and bitter. Angry and bitter people don't do what he did. We're told that he recognized the church in Jerusalem had some financial needs, so what does he do? He sells personal property, and he gives all the money to the apostles. I mean, Barnabas was the first recorded donor in this new community called the church. And uh, when the text says that he put the money at the apostles' feet, it's as if he was saying to them, here, I trust you guys. You know what needs to be done. Take this offering. No strings attached. Just use it to further the cause of Jesus in our city. In short, Barnabas encouraged people through his generous giving. Unlike today, where we cloak our giving in secrecy, In the early church, Christians made their offerings to God publicly. And as they did, men and women like Barnabas would come forward in the group and present their sacrificial gifts to the leaders. Everybody got their turn. Everybody participated. And as people gave and as everyone witnessed it, the whole church was, was, got excited. The whole church was, uh, was grateful and moved to worship and inspired to serve more and more people and bring the good news of Jesus to as many as possible. I think it's safe to say that God is pleased when he sees that kind of corporate sacrificial giving. And keep in mind, there's no cloaking it with God. He always sees what we give, how we do it, and in the attitude by which we do it. Uh, And he's honored by it. For us, I I would say that there's encouragement that takes place when people give, when we see generosity in others. 
Many of you know what that's like. Many of you know the joy of radical generosity. You know you've come to a place in your spiritual life uh, where you realize that to give sacrificially to a cause that is greater than yourself, in doing so, not only do you reflect the grace and generosity of God, but you demonstrate an understanding of the deeper spiritual realities of our life, the deeper spiritual realities of God's kingdom, of eternal realities, realities far more significant than money. And when you give to that cause, uh, there's joy. And that's, that's how it was with Barnabas. See, it's not just that he gave. It's the spirit in which he did it, sacrificially, gladly, willingly, radically, humbly. And when witnessed, that kind, of, that kind of generosity is infectious. I mean, the apostles saw it, and they're like, they look at each other and say, hey, you know, Joe's a nice name and everything, but it's not good enough for this guy. We're going to call him Barnabas. We're going to call him son of encouragement. Through his radical generosity, the apostles, the church, and the greater community uh, gets encouraged and inspired and in, the church is enabled to move forward. That's what generous giving does. Now, after this introduction to Barnabas, we don't see him again until chapter 9, when he shows up encouraging others by way of extending grace to them. See, after the uh, notorious persecutor of the church, Saul, came to faith in Jesus and escaped, escaped uh, death threats, from Jewish authorities in Damascus. He headed south to Jerusalem, and he tried to join up with the church there. But all the believers in Jerusalem were petrified of the guy. They all knew who he was. They were all afraid of him. They doubted his faith. Um, because, I mean, this was the guy who, who endorsed the murder of Stephen, a leader in the church, and then spearheaded uh, citywide violence against the church. Husbands, wives, brothers, sisters were beaten and imprisoned, some killed because of this man. And uh, the believers in Jerusalem were petrified of him. They're scared. No one wanted anything to do with him. Almost no one. Because get this. But Barnabas took Saul and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul was on his journey, had seen the Lord, and how the Lord had spoken to him, and how in Damascus he preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. Here's my Ray K summary. To be an encourager like Barnabas means believing that with God's help and by his grace... Anyone can change. Anyone. It means understanding that just as God has forgiven us, we must forgive others. It means refusing to let who someone was yesterday limit who they can be today and who they might become tomorrow. In other words, to encourage people often requires extending grace and forgiveness to them. There's just no way around that. I mean, we're all broken flawed, sinful individuals. I mean, we all, need, we all need the grace and forgiveness of God, and at times we all need the grace and forgiveness of one another. And the fact that God doesn't withhold those things raises the question of who are we to withhold them? In an essay on this very topic, Christian author and writer C.S. Lewis once wrote, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. And he's right. Now, is that easy? No, it's not easy. No one ever says it's easy. I'm sure it wasn't easy for Barnabas. I mean, he took a huge risk with this guy, Saul, right? But he was willing to do it. He was willing to do it. He was willing to risk being this man's friend, to hearing his story, to getting to know him, standing up for him, standing with him. 
Imagine what would have happened to Saul if he hadn't had Barnabas. Because Saul, who becomes known as the Apostle Paul, experiences acceptance into the, into the Jesus community, be, first and foremost because of one encouraging person who extended grace to him. You can do that for somebody. You can do that for somebody. What else is there about Barnabas? Well, we know from our text that he encourages people by serving and assisting in their spiritual formation. What do I mean? Well, think about it. He goes to Antioch, right? And he gets there and he sees what the grace of God through Jesus has done to these people, what it was doing to these people and for these people. And he was excited about it. He, was, he celebrated it. We're told that he was really glad about it. And he encouraged them to remain true to the Lord with all of their hearts. But here's the deal. For Barnabas, encouragement didn't simply mean saying, hey man, good job, glad to have you in the family, good luck, you're on your own. No. For him, encouragement meant coming alongside them in the truest sense of the word, you know, personally investing in their spiritual development. In fact, the text says that he goes and he finds Saul, and together they serve believers in Antioch for an entire year together, meeting with people, talking with people, teaching people, sharing life with people. Let me tell you something. For many in the church, the Christian church today in America, discipleship, spiritual development, spiritual formation, whatever you want to call it, uh, for many people in the church, it's mostly about hearing a sermon once a week, maybe going to a class maybe in the middle of the week, and, and getting as much theological information as you can in those two things. That's the understood and assumed formula. But here's the thing. I don't see that in the New Testament anywhere. I mean, sure, there's teaching that goes on, but there are no Sunday school classes. There are no programmed lectures or institutionalized learning opportunities. None. And don't get me wrong. I mean, it's not that hearing a sermon isn't good or sitting in a class isn't helpful. But in the beginning, in the very beginning, the growth of the church, the spiritual development uh, of God's people was very organic. You know, it, it revolved around intimate community of, of Christians getting together, not just in big church event, but in homes throughout the week to study scripture together, to, to worship together, to pray together, to share life, to support one another through good times and bad. That's why we as a church uh, are committed to promoting, establishing, and maintaining as many life groups as we possibly can. It worked for the early church. It'll work for you. It'll work for others. It'll work for all of us if we're just willing to open our homes, open our lives, and invest in others. If. It's a big if. I mean, look, some of you have been Christians a long time. The truth is you have, you have the biblical knowledge, insight, experience, and maturity that can and will benefit another person if you're only willing to share it, if you're willing to share yourself with them. I can't do it alone. Kim can't do it by herself. Over the last couple of weeks, I've listened to Christians make commentaries on our culture, talk about how it's falling to pieces complaining about where it's going, where it's headed. But I'm telling you something, the only, the only way it is going to change, the only way that culture is going to be impacted is if the church grows, not just in numbers, 
but in spiritual depth and maturity. And for that to happen, it demands all of us serve and assist in the discipleship process. That's what it's going to take. That is what it's going to take. Understand, you know, it's in the context of authentic relational community where spiritual formation happens best. It's where real encouragement happens. Why? Because it's through established and trusted relationships that we're able to speak truth and love to one another. And that's a big, I mean, that's a big part of encouragement. I was reminded of that when I read how Barnabas uh, was in Antioch and he encouraged the believers there to remain true with all of their hearts. Truth and love. Biblical encouragement represents a balance of those two things. In fact, one without, the, one without the other really isn't very helpful. I mean, again, we're all, we're all flawed, sinful people, broken. And more often than not, the sin, the struggle, the issue, the problem, the flaw that's most distorting your life and my life is the one we see the least. I mean, let's face it, we all lack a certain degree of self-awareness which allows us to live in denial. And that's why you need someone to speak into your life. But unless, unless that person encourages you in the right way, you won't change and neither will I. And I say the right way because if someone comes at you with truth, but, but they're not genuinely loving, you just, you'll just dismiss them. You'll write them off. You'll build a wall. You'll, you'll, you know, you'll engage your defense mechanisms. On the other hand, if someone just loves you and affirms you all the time and never tells you the truth, you'll, your life will remain status quo. We need both of those things. We need truth and love. The thing is, when, when it comes to delivering that, we all tend to drift to one side of the equation or the other. You know, We're either lovers, we're either lovers without truth or we're truthers without love. Um... But if we're going to help each other, uh, it's critical we find the balance between those two things. In addition, keep in mind, Barnabas went to Antioch to be with these people, which, which presses the idea that encouragement can't happen at a distance. Uh, it, it's an in-person deal. Why? Well, because when, when you're speaking truth and love, right, truth comes verbally, but the love mostly comes through nonverbal communication through your affect, your posture, your, ex- your expressions, your eyes, your gestures, your, your, the tone of your voice. And therefore, healthy, balanced, biblical encouragement happens in person. Trust me. It's not enough to put an emoji on your text message and hit send. I don't care what the face looks like. This is not enough. Love and concern don't come through an email. And there's little tenderness in a tweet, Really? Do you know what I'm saying? I think it's fair to argue that the kind of encouragement we're talking about here, a balance of truth and love, can't be done without face-to-face interaction. It just can't, and it can't be done well. As helpful as technology is, it is no substitute for real human connection. It's not. It's not. I mean, the internet, the internet promises community, but it doesn't deliver. People are on the internet all the time. People are more lonely than ever before. I'm not saying it's all bad. I mean, the Internet has some good things. The Internet is a friend of information, but it's an enemy of reflection. 
It's a friend of superficial liaisons, but an enemy to deep, meaningful relationship. I understand the writer of the, of the book of Hebrews in the New Testament says, encourage one another daily so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. And the idea of, of deceitfulness here is about, is about being in denial regarding what may be wrong in our lives. And unless we have someone to come alongside us and in person to love us and tell us the truth, we will become increasingly blinded to that sin and hardened to its reality. So in short, we need each other. We need each other. We need community. We need healthy, balanced encouragement. Pastor and author Tim Keller summarizes it this way. He says, love without truth is sentimentality. It supports and affirms us, but keeps us in denial about our flaws. Truth without love is harshness. It gives us information, but in such a way we cannot really hear it. We need both truth and love. I'm guessing Barnabas, I'm guessing Barnabas understood that. Some of us here understand it as well. But it's one thing to understand it, and it's another thing to actually do it. And what, by the way, what was it that made Barnabas so good at all this? What made him so good at encouraging? I, I, I guess we could probably come up with a, a lot of possibilities, but the text tells us this. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. Translation. He was a follower of Jesus who wasn't that different from any of us. Not really. I mean, if, if, you're, if you're a Christian, if you believe in Jesus, then you too have the Holy Spirit, which means you too should be in the process of becoming more and more of an encourager. A person who by faith is, is a radically generous giver, giver, as someone who extends grace and forgiveness to others, who serves and assists in the spiritual development of other people, and who, right, who rightly balances truth and love. And here's the deal. Those kind of encouraging people don't simply impact other Christians. Their lives impact everyone around them. Everyone. Because notice what the text says. text says, Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. That's not a throwaway phrase. That phrase is there for a purpose. It's telling us that Barnabas, who's full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and because of him, because of him, because of who he was, uh, a lot of people came to know Jesus. Uh, this week I started reading a New York Times bestseller titled The Road to Character. I don't know if you've heard about it. Um, in his introduction, author David Brooks talks about the difference between what he calls resume virtues and eulogy virtues. He writes this, Resume virtues are the ones you list on your resume, the skills that you bring to the job market and that contribute to external success. Eulogy virtues are much deeper. They're the virtues that get talked about at your funeral, the ones that exist at the core of your being, whether you're kind, brave, honest, or faithful, what kind of relationships you formed. He writes, most of us would say eulogy virtues are the most important ones, but, and then he goes on to explain how we don't really live as if they are. Not really. Listen, Joseph, called Barnabas, uh, has been gone a long time. Yet here we are, some 1,900 years later, still talking about the guy. His legacy remains strong. His impact on the lives of people, historic. The guy was an encourager. 
in the truest sense. He did what all of us as, as, as Christians are called to do, to come alongside one another, to encourage one another daily through giving generously and extending grace to others, serving other people for their spiritual benefit and balancing truth and love in the context of healthy relationships. That's what Barnabas did. That's what he's remembered for. The question is, what will you and I be remembered for? Let's pray together. Father, I'm grateful for this man Joseph called Barnabas. It's, um, it's amazing how simple acts of generosity, um, how it inspired the, the early church, how it impacted even the apostles to where they gave this man a nickname. And then it's, it's incredible how when everyone else wanted nothing to do with Saul, Barnabas uh, extended grace to him. And uh, because of that, he was, because of Barnabas' willing to stand with him and stand for him, Saul was welcomed into the church, ended up writing a majority of our New Testament. He was also a guy who, who you know, put, poured his life into other people. And it's so easy for us today to be so busy, so worried about what we're getting that we forget about everybody else. And then until the church begins to see things differently, our culture is in trouble. Until we begin to put others first and recognize our role in the spiritual development of other, other people, um, your cause will struggle. And so, Lord, I pray that we would um, have the courage to look at our own lives and, and see what, what kind of encouragers are we. Are we really people who encourage one another through these, these acts of sacrifice and generosity and grace, all these things, truth and love? And if not, I pray that you would, you would work in our lives through, the, through your spirit, that we would become more like Barnabas. And that as we do, not only will our fellow Christians be strengthened, but people in our culture will come to know Jesus. I ask these things in his name for his sake. Amen. So my hope is... Um, you understand the truth of the gospel is an encouraging deal. Uh, the word literally means to put in courage because religion is discouraging. It's the opposite, right? Because if you have to work your way into heaven, uh, I don't know about you, but I'm not going to make it. <laughs> I'm not good enough. I mean, really, how good do you have to be? Where's the dividing line? Where's the line? You know, as good as Mother Teresa, I'm in trouble. Right? I mean, where, where is the line? That's why religion, that's why religion is crushing. It's, it's debilitating. It's discouraging. Christianity, on the other hand, is encouraging because it's not about what you can do. It's about what Jesus has done for you. It's about the grace of God. And when you get that, man, when you understand that and you embrace the reality of it, it changes you from the inside out. It changes your perspective on things, on, 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 on who God is and, and what this life is about and what my money is about and what my... Time is about it. It changes your perspective. The question is, that has, it, has it changed you? And if not, then I encourage you to, to think about this 
this thing called Christianity and this person called Jesus. And maybe for the first time, put your hope and faith in him because that's what it means to be a Christian. Uh, if you want to talk to someone more about that, following the service, some of our prayer team folks will be down front. They'll be happy to talk with you. But uh, in the meantime, I hope you have a great week, uh, rest of the weekend. Uh, enjoy family and friends. And uh, we'll see you next week. Let me pray for us before we're, we're done. And now, Lord, I, I pray and I certainly, I, I hope, Lord, that we have, um, we've gained a sense of encouragement today just by knowing what the truth is. And that truth um, is very freeing. And I pray that we would leave this place today as your church, as your people, and that we would, we would be generous with our lives and we would, we would give to other people and we would offer grace where it's, where it's needed and serve those around us and balance truth and love in our relationships with one another so that we might all become more and more like Jesus and so that we might impact our world for him. May you rest your hand of grace and peace on your people today as we go. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for being here. We'll see you next Sunday.